You're listening to episode 49 of the Thrive Tribe 419 podcast, Tapping Out Addiction, the Opioid Epidemic with Matt Hollow. Prosper, flourish, bloom with your people, your close-knit group, your clan, straight out of area code 419 with the most cutting-edge, controversial, and enlightening information from the most knowledgeable experts in everything, mind, body, and soul. Welcome to the Thrive Tribe 419 Podcast. I'm your host, Rose Hollow. Hello, Tribe. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have my husband, Matt Hollow, a licensed professional clinical counselor who provides simple and effective tools for emotional freedom, on the podcast once again, and we are actually re-recording an opioid epidemic podcast that we recorded um, a few weeks ago that accidentally got deleted, so we're going to give this another try, Um, but first I want to introduce my husband here. He has been practicing behavioral health professionally for almost two decades. His experience covers a vast array of specialties, including child-focused play therapy, severe mental illness, domestic violence, substance abuse and addiction, and trauma, including veterans with PTSD. Matt's specialty is emotional freedom techniques, which combines an evidence-based combination of acupressure point tapping with neuro-linguistic programming to equip the user with an effective tool that can help bring calm and peace to one's life in the face of fear, addiction, trauma, anxiety, and more. He provides dynamic interactive group demonstrations, individual sessions, and classes that leave people of all ages equipped to begin using this technique at home. Matt is currently venturing off into the private practice arena and if you are interested in uh, scheduling some mental health therapy or an assessment you can contact Deep Roots Wellness at 419-239-2113 or you can check out the website at www.matthollow.com Matt Hollow is spelled M-A-T-T-H-O-L-L-O Note, there is no W in the last name of Hollow. So hello, Matt. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. I am sorry that we have to record this again. It was so good we had to do it a second time. You know, it actually was a really good one. I was excited when I started editing it and listening to it because it was really good. And I just wanted to rip out all my hair when I accidentally deleted the wrong track and couldn't get it back. So that was just, it was a bad day. <laughs> it was a bad Those day. things happen. So I'm hoping that because the last one was so good and we've done it once, that this one will be good as well. Maybe this is my like annual um, deleting of a podcast episode tradition. Yeah. Because the very first podcast interview I did also got deleted. Mm. It was, um, the file was corrupted. And I, I had that. and I had to delete that one. So, but this one was totally an accident. It was just an editing error, um, aka brain fart. <laughs> Those things happen when you're when running you're stressed a me- out when you're running a media and... empire. Yeah, right. Well, running a house full of kids and animals and trying to manage three businesses, it can get a little dicey sometimes. And I think that's the way my mind has been lately. But. Uh, Anyway, how are you thriving? Oh man, I didn't even even prepare this time. (laughs) I Um, always do that, don't I? Yeah, it sneaks (laughs) up on me. Okay, Um, the way I've been thriving in the 419 lately is, um, I think something we were just doing before we uh, got on the podcast, which was just sitting outside in our yard um, with, you know, once kids are in bed, just sitting outside, enjoying the outdoors. Like there's, there's nothing like enjoying like being in your yard and the temperature is right. The wind is just a little breeze going, sitting, sitting in the hammock chair or, um, some other comfy chair. So that's, that's helping me to thrive lately. And I saw a lightning bug. Yeah. Here in town where they spray for mosquitoes. Yeah, I'm happy that there was one that was alive still. <laughs> right? Ugh. 
don't get me started on that. But anyway, yeah, that was nice. I'm glad that we opted to um, enjoy the evening outside instead of rushing in here to record a podcast. But we are here now. We are talking about opioids, a super upbeat topic. (laughs) But unfortunately, it is a big problem in Northwest Ohio. Well, and I think the listeners of your podcast, if, you know, if they aren't themselves dealing with this issue, they probably have a friend or family member that's affected by it. So I think it kind of touches all of us in in different ways. Yeah, I think you're right about that, unfortunately. So what are opioids? What are they used for? And why are they addictive? Okay, so opioids are a class of drug or medication um, that are typically used for pain issues. Um, some of the some of the opioid names that that you may have heard of uh, would be things like uh, codeine, fentanyl, hydrocodone, hydromorphone, uh, morphine, um, oxycodone, uh, things like that. Um, you might also hear some of the trade names like Vicodin, um, Demerol, things like that. Uh, some of these are things that you will get from a doctor. Or you're going to get uh, if you're in the hospital for surgery. Um, they have varying levels of strength. Uh, fentanyl is kind of the big one that we've been hearing a lot lately because, um, and heroin, of course, is an opioid um, because fentanyl has been found in a lot of the heroin that's out on the street right now and is highly potent. Highly potent. There's also a strain called carfentanil that is super, super potent to the point where you have to wear gloves to handle it or you can overdose extremely easily. Yeah, I just heard about that recently. It's it's used as basically like an elephant tranquilizer. Oh my gosh. So it's... Why why would you put this in your body? Because you need increasingly stronger amounts when you're taking opioids? There's... There's reasons for it. Part of it is it's it's kind of gotten into the supply of, of heroin and, and opioids uh, writ large. Part of that is because it's all it takes is a little bit of it to go a long way. And because it's so potent, um, people get more quote-unquote bang for their buck. Um, unfortunately, yeah. it also is extremely dangerous. And um, people who are in varying levels of, of, you know, using, um, some will overdose very easily because, um, the supply changes or, um, you know, it's, it's gotten different and we'll, we'll see these patterns at times where multiple people in a town or in a, in a county will overdose in a very short window of time because there there's all of this fentanyl that's laced in with the the heroin that's out there it's it's pretty tragic wow yeah 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 that's that's that is very sad so you've just talked about kind of some of the contributing factors to the opioid epidemic i believe by mentioning these pharmaceuticals that Mm -hmm. people are prescribed and that can become addictive um i think there is a fact in this magazine that we're looking at that said you can become addicted uh okay let me read this the number of days it can take to become addicted to opioids according to a report in the cdc's journal of morbidity and morality mortality mortality weekly report is five days now how long of a time period are doctors prescribing this like first time around well the law has changed on this recently and i'm not a pharmacist and i don't i'm not a prescriber but my understanding is that for acute pain issues um seven days is the legal limit so you can totally become addicted in seven days right and that's not to say that the person isn't given refills (sighs) At right, times. because normally if you have surgery or yeah, something, you break your, your pain, arm or something. Yeah. Your pain is lasting longer than a week. Sure. I mean, I can say from my own experience, 
You don't just get better. Right. And this brings me to, um, it reminds me of an interview I did with a nurse who does international missions trips. And she went and did all these um, cleft lip and cleft palate surgeries Mm. in Haiti, wasn't it? I think it was Haiti. And um, when these kids are done with their cleft lip, cleft palate surgeries, they just give them Motrin. Mm -hmm. They send them home with Motrin. And it works. And the reason that it works is because these um, people don't take pharmaceuticals. pharmaceuticals so that ibuprofen is like super strong and it gets them through whatever they need. So mm-hmm. just wanted to mention that because this is a holistic health podcast and I think a lot of people here are probably already using natural means of dealing with pain if you have pain in your life, like reducing inflammation in your body and using herbs and things like that. So if a doctor prescribes you an opioid, you may want to just try something a little less potent to see if it works. If it doesn't, you know, you can discuss that with your doctor. But um, Well, and, and I was just remembering, like, when you broke your shoulder last year, they, they did prescribe you opioids, but you didn't take it. You, I took none. You and took zero. That was a broken shoulder. Right. Um, yeah, and I took none. And I survived. Mm-hmm. Um, I have also survived two childbirths. Well, actually, t- technically more childbirths than that with no pain medication at all. I mean, pain doesn't kill us. It sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, it is no fun. I live with a, a chronic pain condition. Um, but I I think I've taken opioids once. I think I was, I was given an opioid when I was in the hospital when I had surgery. Right. Um, at the hospital, mm-hmm. um, but just that one time, um, and yeah, I think I did need it. <laughs> yeah, I would, yeah. There is a time and a place for this stuff, but we have to be very careful. And um, I just wanted to mention that. And this this article in this magazine that we're looking at, which is Good Health, Good Health Lifestyles, Summer twenty eighteen. There's an article in here by Dr. Jacob Tietelbaum who was kind of a pioneer in the um, recognition and prescribing um, of fibromyalgia. Back when people thought fibromyalgia didn't exist, he was kind of the forerunner on that. And he's very into, like, natural means. And in here he suggested that safer ways of dealing with pain... I'm just going to read these really quick. Maybe you want to jot these down. Um, if you have pain in your life, um, he suggested curcumin, which I could not agree with more. That is what I took when I broke my shoulder. I took a really strong um, dose of curcumin. The brand name was Curamed by Terry Naturally. Um, it worked great. I took their highest dose like three times a day, and that was actually it. Actually, worked better than Motrin or Tylenol. Um, I was shocked by how well it worked. So you just never know. Um, and of course, these, this is what Dr. Jacob Tietelbaum is suggesting. This is not really... I can give you my anecdotes, I guess, but um, this is what this doctor is recommending in this magazine. Matt and I are not personally trying to give you medical advice out right. there, so just keep that in mind, please. But yeah, definitely curcumin. Something to try. Um, Boswellia is um let me see here there's a lot of like technical stuff in this article um but it's an herb it's an like an extract of an herb i think you can find boswellia at pretty much any health food store um there's dlpa which is dl phenylalanine it's an amino acid that soothes pain by blocking enzymes that break down to the body's own painkilling chemicals endorphins and Enkephalins. Um, it's not an anti-inflammatory, but it does help reduce pain um, associated with migraines, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia. Um, again, this was written by a fibromyalgia doctor, so I'm guessing that he knows what he's talking about. I have never tried that, though. Mm. Also, hemp oil. Now, when you're buying hemp oil, um, you want to be aware of the quality of it. I know this. Um, you also need to know that hemp oil, if it doesn't say that it contains C- CBD, which is the cannabidiol, 
um, element. Um, that hemp oil is just an oil. It is derived from the hemp plant. It is anti-inflammatory because it has omega in it, but um, it is not CBD unless it says CBD. CBD is this cannabidiol that um, plugs into your um, receptors in your body that are the cannabidiol receptors, um, which is a totally different thing. Um, hemp oil and hemp oil that has CBD in it usually has teeny tiny trace amounts of THC, which they basically say zero THC, which is actually the drug portion um, that gets you high. Mm -hmm. So um, people out there, if you're thinking about hemp oil or CBD oil, that those are some like really basic things that I know about it. Um, CBD, I've heard, is more effective at reducing pain um, than hemp oil. But with our own experience, we've experienced the opposite, where like the hemp oil without CBD has been more effective in our family, um, probably because the of the omega three omega six ratio in there. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Matt is telling me to wrap it up. Maybe I'm rambling too long. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's good information it's because a really I good know article. I know my I wanna, listeners I out there. Yeah. I know my listeners out there are into holistic health and natural alternatives, so I just wanted to um, insert that. It's time for a quick break. Does holistic life have you frazzled? Naturally Simplified is here to save the day and time, offering non-toxic alternatives to everyday needs using only organic and wild-crafted ingredients. Small batch formulas that can be customized for your specific needs, plus new workshops that cover an array of holistic health reservations. Join the Naturally Simplified Facebook group for a full list of events through December, which include CBD. Is it? Can it? Will it? essential oil safety, and DIY foaming hand soap. Essential oils, balms, sprays, and more now available at Indigo Therapeutic Massage and Spa in downtown Defiance, Ohio. For store hours, available appointments, and all the information you need to start living your life free of toxins, visit naturally-simplified.com. And this company is a company that I have personally used and can testify to its quality. Thanks, guys. Back to the show. So, Matt, yes. what makes it so hard to get off of opioids once we're on them? Why can't people just quit? Well, I think a big part of it is just by their nature, um, the way that they bind with opioid receptors in our brain um, makes it very difficult for us to get off of them. Um, once we've been on them for, for a, a period of time, it's we we do start to become physiologically dependent on it and that part of our brain is like hey you know i'm thank you for for this continue giving it to me and um once we stop taking it there's a couple things that happen um one is that your brain starts to go through you know your body starts to go through withdrawal from it um we also have uh i think it, the technical term is hyperalgesia which is you start to have um, worsening pain. So you, you feel really, really uncomfortable. Um, not to mention the psychological aspect of it, which is, you know, if you've been taking this and, and if you've been abusing it, you are, you know, a lot of times you're chasing that high because when we take opioids, um, it's, it can lead us, lead us to feel very calm, relaxed it can give us a very euphoric feeling um, and a lot of times when people get that get that feeling for the first time it's it's like nothing else that they had ever experienced so it's they literally will chase that high um, we, we heard the old term like chasing the dragon and uh, people especially that have start using heroin um, they they get really you know it's like they they're chasing that high and, and even once that part of it is, is gone, there's the just trying to maintain, like finding your normal in being on opiates all the time. So a lot of, a lot of it is just spending a lot of time, like how do I get my next high? Um, 
so going through withdrawal is really uncomfortable. It's like the worst flu that you can ever have. Um, people get a lot of, a number of physical symptoms, uh, runny nose, eyes watering, um, cr stomach cramps, um, diarrhea, nausea, um, leg cramping and restlessness. Uh, it's just really uncomfortable. It's like, it's like the worst flu you can have. So a lot of people, when they start to get some of those symptoms, will you know they'll they'll start to use they'll try and use again so it, it just becomes this kind of constant state of like trying to maintain so that you're not going through that terrible withdrawal and um, but you're always having to increase the dose or the frequency you can definitely have um you know your tolerance can go up and up and up and people will start to have to take more and more to get the same high um and, and that can even be true when people aren't really trying to get high anymore. They're just trying to maintain. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it can be really uncomfortable. And a lot of times people don't want to do it on their own. Now, um, opioid withdrawal is not fatal. Um, it's not something that will kill you, unlike alcohol withdrawal that could potentially do that. But it's, it's extremely uncomfortable. And people, especially if people are already dealing with issues like pain, or other psychological issues like depression and anxiety and things like that, they're not they're not really well well suited to cope with going through that awful feeling. So um, it's it is really hard to get off of it. So who would you say from you know a from our listeners' point of view, mm -hmm. like the people that are listening to this podcast? Who out there needs to be more cautious about taking opioids if their doctor writes them that prescription? Like, is there a cer certain type of people or personality or um, health issues or anything that makes one person more likely to become addicted than another? Well, I mean, I think on the whole, I think everybody needs to be careful when they're prescribed opiates. Period. So maybe the doctors need to be more careful about who they prescribe to. Well, they absolutely should. I mean, they, they should definitely be aware of other other secondary factors that can make um, abuse more of an issue. And do you think that doctors are aware of those things in general these days because it's becoming such an issue? Or I think I think it just depends. I think some are and some aren't, and okay. honestly, some probably don't care. Um, so it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of my answer to that. Okay. But I would so say. So we need to, we need to really take responsibility for ourselves when, and do our homework when we are prescribed a drug. We need to be. make sure that we are. We need to be. Careful. Advocates for ourselves anytime and we're I, getting medical care. And it's funny too, because I've been prescribed opioids before and didn't even realize it was an opioid that they were writing the prescription for. Mm. But I always research everything, and I, I know even a couple times I came home with prescriptions, and you're like, that's an opioid. Why did they prescribe that? Like, that's that's like going from zero to 60 here. Mm -hmm. Don't they have anything else they can give you? And right. I was like, oh, I had no idea. Like, I don't want to take this. Like, I don't think people even realize sometimes, like, what they're being prescribed by a doctor that they trust is mm -hmm. something that could very, very quickly become an addiction or really do a lot of damage to your body. Right. Well, absolutely. And back to your original question, who, who should be, who could be more susceptible to it or maybe needs to be more careful? Yeah. I think um, most definitely anybody who has a history of things like depression, anxiety, um, bipolar disorder, um, other, other mental health issues, trauma, um, anybody who's previously had issues with substances, alcohol, things like that, because addictions can most definitely shift. Just because alcohol was your drug of choice previously doesn't mean that you can't get addicted to opiates. In fact, it's probably more of a likelihood that that's going to happen, especially like things like alcohol, because um, alcohol, in my opinion, is the gateway drug. Oh, um, that's, that's not marijuana. Marijuana... <sighs> I'm going to say more often than not, no, is not the gateway. It's uh -huh. the gateway drug to munchies. Um, <laughs> to obesity. <laughs> and obesity. 
But I would say more... Diabetes. I mean, without, without a doubt, the thing that I hear the most is, you know, somebody will be drinking... And then, you know, they might get talked into trying heroin or or some pill that they don't know what it is and they're mm. and they're half drunk so they don't really Their know. Their guard any better. is down. Yeah, you're you're disinhibited. So um, when you smoke where, marijuana you're paranoid, yeah, right? You're, so you're not, <laughs> you're less you likely to be yeah. So I think alcohol can definitely be um, something to, to be careful of. Um, okay. so so anybody that's got those sorts of um, you know, history and some people may or may not know that about themselves or be open to that with themselves. Um, yeah. Teenagers, um, just as a whole, because they're more impulsive and they're willing, a lot of times they're going to try things because their friends are trying it or because it seems like a fun thing to do. Um, and, right. And we can definitely, I mean, kids can, can become physiologically addicted to opiates as well. And have even Kids. less, yeah, and even less um, coping that, skills to be able to, to deal with it and recognize it. That scares me. That yeah. really scares me that kids are getting addicted. So I want to ask you about warning signs. Because we're both parents here, and I know we have mm. parents listening. What are some warning signs that your kids could be addicted to a drug, okay. specifically an opioid? So I'm going to borrow this from this um, excellent uh, warning signs, uh, I think, that Harbor put out here in Toledo Parent News. Um, Some some signs that, uh, some physical clues that that you may see, change in eating habits, unexplained weight loss or gain. I'm going to say generally you're going to see weight loss. Inability to sleep, um, waking up at unusual times, red or watery eyes, um, sniffing a lot, um, blank stares, nausea or vomiting, excessive sweating, tremor, shakes, sweaty palms, extreme hyperactivity or or excessive talkativeness. Now I will say, and I'm I'm gonna (laughs) sounds like one of our kids. (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna back up just a moment because um, a lot of times with opiates, you know, it's it's kind of a a, considered a depressant. Um, So a lot of times people will feel pretty mellowed out with it. But we do have some of our patients that I work with in our clinic who, when they take opiates, um, actually get like a burst of energy um, where they're Mm. they're like able to. Really? Do lots of things, clean their house, get a lot of get a lot of stuff oh done. Oh my gosh! And I can say that was not my experience in the hospital right. when they gave me an opiate. I, it like knocked me out. Right, I could barely walk. <laughs> well, and if you think about it, for some people, so. either because they're dealing with chronic pain, and now all of a sudden that pain is gone, or um, you have somebody who um, uh, sometimes we see that with various mood disorders and um, depression where like it actually kind of gives them like kind of a boost like an energy boost Um, now why I want to interrupt you for a second because mm -hmm. like in my mind I'm thinking of all these questions are kids and teenagers getting addicted to opioids because they've been prescribed it by a doctor or are they taking it because they're getting high both um, in, in my experience, I've had, I've had people who came to me as, as young adults who, um, maybe they broke their arm, they were in a car accident or something like that, prescribed opiates, um, continued to be prescribed them for a long period of time, were cut off and, um, went through withdrawal and started to buy it on the street buy opiate, buy pills. It just, um, I, I'm or, sorry, but that makes me so angry Yeah, that a physician would do that to a child mm-hmm. put them on an opioid and then make them stop like that because don't they know what that child's going through how how harmful and damaging and risky that is that's that's a little maddening i gotta say yeah it's not great um i think so there's... it can start as a pharmaceutical prescription mm-hmm. and and in an addiction getting it off the street which would be even more dangerous i would think because you don't know right what's in it well and and what ha- what so often happens is that 
um, you know, depending on where you go, your prescription pills, your Percocets and things like that on the street have very high street value. However, heroin, you can get a lot cheaper. So a lot of times people start with pills and then they go to heroin because it's cheaper and more accessible to get. Um, of course, it's dirtier and there's a lot of other things that could be in it that you don't know about, like fentanyl, like we mentioned earlier. Um, and then sometimes people start using needles, which exposes you to things like HIV and hepatitis oh C. Oh my gosh, it really opens the can of worms. Yeah, so it's parents can out worms. there whose kids have been prescribed opioids need to be really watching to make sure that their child, I guess, is weaned from these drugs? Well, I think... I think and, it definitely needs to be done in conjunction with with the physician. Yeah, yeah. So that it's be, done safely. Correct. Um, but that's definitely something. I mean, it sounds like the risk is extremely high of being addicted, especially sure. as a kid when you're not as able to. I don't know. You right. you can tolerate less toxic load in your body when you're a child so i think it would be even higher risk of just from what i know about the biology and Mm -hmm. all of that like it seems like kids could become addicted even more even quicker than adults it's certainly a strong possibility but yeah you know and like like i was saying earlier kids can definitely be more likely to abuse things you know, just by abusing them because their friends are doing it or, you know, kids are doing it before school or or things like that. Yeah, so then we have this other population of teens and kids who originally start because they're getting it on the street or in school. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like a whole nother ball game. Yeah, because What do you think is the biggest, like... Sorry to interrupt, but what what do you think would be, like, the biggest sign? I mean, because probably a lot of parents aren't even thinking, like, I need to, you know, be on the lookout for all these red flags that my right. child's on drugs. Like, what do you think would be, like, the biggest, like, do-do-do-do, red flag, like, well, I, investigate I think, mom and dad, what's going on? I mean, other than our normal, you know, teenagers being, like, moody and... and you know, going in their room and spending a lot of time on their phone, just just an overall like change in in attitude or behavior, like where they're doing maybe they're they're not doing activities that they used to. Um, they start hanging out with different people than they used to. Um, maybe they're very very secretive. Mm. Um, I think those are those would be some potential warning signs. Um, to add to that, like. Um, uh, Maybe there's drugs missing from the medicine cabinet if you have your own prescription drugs. Um, they're, oh. they're, they're not taking care of themselves physically. You know, kids are generally, like, I don't know, a lot of kids I know are, like, they're going to be dressed up, although some kids have crappy hygiene anyways. But if it, if it really changes, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, kids having, like, a, you know, they're having a lot of emotional changes, lack of motivation, being very dishonest, irritability, moodiness, um, you know, they're locking their doors to their room, like those would definitely be things I would be concerned about. Mm. Um, You know, money turning up missing would be a big red flag, Um, Uh, especially if you know, like you keep, you've got some like pocket change that you keep around or like uh, some some walking around money like if that stuff starts coming up missing or like here and there like that would be a big red flag too all right so i want to talk about the treatment options because i know this is something that you have worked with at health partners of western ohio in the brain community health center um when people go into a, a community health center where mm-hmm. opioid addictions are treated, how does that work? So, you know, when when we have somebody that comes in, we, you know, we do, we kind of get their history, like a nurse will do their intake, 
get you know start to get a look at like what what is their use pattern what have they been using when did they last use um try and get a sense of like what are they you know what other issues might be going on um we're going to do a lot of screenings to see um what's going on are they having depression anxiety mood disorder type behavior what's the extent of their their substance use um like how much is has it affected their life that they're able to see um and so somebody like me like a behavioral health provider that you know is going to go in and and try and get a sense of like again what they're using how much they're using what kind of what kind of an effect are they having how has it affected their life um you know and trying to get a sense of like what's their motivation are they trying to you know are they internally motivated meaning like they're there because they want to get clean they want to get you know show show improvement are, are they more externally motivated where maybe like a parent a partner their probation officer or somebody is saying hey you need to you need to go here or else there's going to be consequences and you guys at the brian community health center the doctor there is able to prescribe a drug to help wean people off of the opioid correct so there's there's a few different things that are done and i'll just i'll try and speak kind of generally since i'm not a prescriber but um there there's a few things we'll do um depending on where they're at in their use of opiates um we may offer um, a combination of medications that is that will help with the acute withdrawal symptoms um to to make them a little more comfortable and um, we may also be looking at other things that are going on, like I said, the underlying depression, anxiety. Because you things. don't want someone to begin using again once they've gone through all getting clean, right? Well, not only that, but we want them to, because, because it's so hard to go through the withdrawal in the first place, we, we want to, you know, we're providing medication-assisted treatment so that they are, their symptoms are, the, the withdrawal symptoms are better managed. And they're they're a little more comfortable, so that's that's the goal with that. And you know we have them come in on a regular basis to, you know every maybe couple of days to see how they're doing with that. And um, the goal then is, you know I know it, I will say at our site we you know because there's different options for how people are treated for opiates um, medicinally. So I mean one option is like methadone um, there's methadone clinics we do not do that at all um, methadone is is it, it can definitely be helpful to get people off opiates but it is really really hard to get off methadone and you have to take it every single day of your for the life rest of your life until you are we are weaned I'm off thinking of it. like a lot of kidney and liver like damage you've got to go like you've got to go to the methadone clinic on the weekends and or you will get sick immediately so you have to go and get your pill every day every day it's i think it might even be a liquid but i mean so we have people that will drive to fort wayne every single day of their life to go so to you're basically a slave to this drug instead of the opioid correct okay. so another another option that is used pretty uh widely is um, something called suboxone or subutex um we again try not to use that at all um we really don't um, because it is, you know, it, it's it's helpful for people who are like trying to get off of opiates. But again, it's something you end up having to wean them off. So of tell later. me what you guys so do we, use. So we we tend to once they have been clean and there's a process of making sure that they're clean with drug screens, um, we do something called Vivitrol, um, or um, which is um, naltrexone in a in a shot form. And it's a 30-day injectable, and they, so they, once they... It's one shot. It's one shot. For 30 days. Right. So, so you have it to get it once every 30 days? Every 28 days, actually. Okay. So um, there's a process for that, and I won't get into all of the details, but but once they get the shot, um, then they come back in at 28 days, and there's a window there, and they get their next shot. Right. So what the Vivitrol does is it it's a... Um, it's a opioid agonist or antagonist, sorry. And so it will, you know, you cannot, if you take something, like if you take opiates, you will not get an effect from it. Like mm-hmm. you won't get high or anything like that. Right. Um, and for some people, it, 
you can make it more likely that they overdose because they just keep trying to get high and they can't, but their body will still, you know, have to deal with the fact that there's opiates in their body. Right. So what it does is it it helps with the cravings. It helps with the cravings to use opiates. Um, and we've had pretty good success with it for people. Um, you know, we usually recommend people be on it at least 18 months. Some people need to be on it for a long, long time. Um, in the process of that, we, we usually encourage people to do, um, you know, counseling groups, um, sober support meetings like NAAA, things like that, um, so that they're getting the other, you know, emotional, mental support that they need. So now that you're transitioning into private practice um, with Deep Roots Wellness, which is the name of your business, Mm -hmm. um, how are you going to work with people who um, are dealing with addiction? Are Are you going to be able to work with people who are currently addicted? Or are you going to be working primarily with people who are... Um, clean and um, just trying to maintain that? That's a great question. I would say because just because of the nature of um, how opioids work and, and the addiction process, you know, there, there may be, I may be seeing people who are using, whether I know about it or not, you know, people don't always tell me. And I've had the experience mm. of people you know, I've seen people for a long, ongoing period of time, and then find out like, oh yeah, I was using, I was using heroin that whole time. So I'm sure that situation. May and why come don't up. people tell you? Would you tell somebody you were using heroin? I think my fear would be getting in trouble, like with sure. the law, or having yeah, my children. Heroin taken is away. illegal. So I mean, if somebody tells you that they're using heroin, are you required to report that to the police, or is this protected under the um, counselor-patient confidentiality it's, stuff? It's 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 tricky, and um, I know in in general we have to we have to assess the situation. Okay. If if children are involved, if 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 somebody's using. In the same vicinity as children, yeah, we have to report that. That mm-hmm. that's because there have been situations where kids have accidentally overdosed because they've come in contact with um, heroin or pills or other things like that. And that could be something that is in your medicine cabinet right. that was prescribed by a doctor. Right. So you know, there's yeah, we have to be we have to be pretty careful, yeah. you know, as mandated reporters with that sort of situation. Um, but in general, I'm not calling the police. Um, you know, we want people. <laughs> you don't make that a habit. No, like a I don't. Habit? I don't drop dimes on people. It's just okay. not because you know we want people to get help. You, you we, just have to make sure that nobody's in immediate danger. Right. We have correct? to be yes. So okay. children, you know, child wise, we have to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as your original question, yeah, I, I will probably work with you know, referring people who are in like acute use or needing like to, uh, and it's one of those things where, um, I think it takes a lot of different approaches to, to treat opioid addiction. So essentially you, if somebody is currently using drugs, it would be more of a team approach where yeah. you may be providing counseling, right. but maybe there is a doctor yeah, or I may, somebody in I Brian may, yeah, providing I may refer out. The, to do like the medication assisted treatment because that is right. one of those situations where um, I'm, you know, I may not be able to just handle that on my own, but I can definitely help that person in their recovery process as they're, especially as they're working on their sobriety, you know, work on things like um, triggers and the underlying drivers that led to their addiction in the first place. Because Honestly, when people use medications for the numbing effect that they have, that's right. because they're trying to put a band-aid on like emotional stuff. Sure. Right? Yeah, because some, you know, living in the world can be really hard and and yeah. you know, if we all need a band-aid once in right. a while. Unfortunately, opioids are really really effective the first time. Sure. <laughs> so 
moving on, unless you had something else you wanted to say. You well, like I, w- you're... I was going to say, you know, I, I will definitely work with somebody, you know, at different points of their recovery. And I do think things like, you know, using EFT tapping can be very beneficial when, when people are faced with cravings, faced with the other underlying, you know, trauma. Now they're starting to feel things. Um, sometimes that's a great opportunity to work on, you know, like I said, some of those, you know, childhood issues or um, ongoing like stressors that that they have haven't been coping with properly. So, so I can right. definitely help them. So you're, you know, with those you tools. deal with like the deep emotional stuff, whereas sometimes, the yeah. doctor and the um, medicated assisted medication assisted treatment deals with the like putting out the fire getting them right. clean go, getting them through the withdrawal like all the immediate bad stuff but you're really sure. going into the past and dealing with the triggers and the right the cause the root cause of that's what I would that's what I would try to do and you know and then again just sort of the day-to-day like teaching relaxation exercises teaching mindfulness so that so that people don't relapse right so they they have have tools tools in their toolbox that they can use when um you know when life happens okay so give us your elevator speech about what eft is because that's such a big part of what you do in your practice and i know that it's not for everybody and you don't use it for everybody in every Mm -hmm. situation but i know that you do use it pretty often so can you um give us your like 10 second Mm -hmm. is it 10 second 10 seconds spiel (laughs) um i basically say to people that that eft tapping is like acupuncture for your emotions that um you know we use these we use these pressure points where we fidget and touch our you know touch our face or fingertips things like that and what it does is... I'm it, doing it right now. Yeah, you are doing it right now. Um, I, I don't know what it is about this spot tonight. Yeah, um, that's your governing meridian spot. Huh. So anyways, um, we do these things subconsciously and um, you know, to, to calm ourselves down. And it sends a message to our brain, um, like our amygdala, um, where we have our emotional center, to calm itself down. It lowers cortisol levels and helps us to get out of that fight, flight, or freeze. And when it works really well, we're working on neutralizing the negative issues around past negative memories and experiences and that, so we can incorporate those into our life. Um, But it's been used for things like PTSD, phobias, addiction, chronic pain, weight loss, um, performances, um, uh, you know, speeches, I used it before I had my second baby, Mm -hmm. the unmedicated birth, (laughs) the second one, which went way better than the first. Yeah. People use it for all kinds of things. You know, and and not to go down that rabbit hole, but I mean, you, you worked on some of the negative issues and memories around your first birth, and that helped Mm -hmm. you to have a much safer more comfortable second birth yeah for sure so yeah for sure i i think it helped immensely so yeah well this was an interesting conversation and i hate that we even have to talk about this especially with kids because i just feel like yeah this is our next generation and even if Our children, yours and my children, or the people that are listening, even if your children never have a drug problem, if their peers are having drug problems, then that's a part of their world. That's going to be a part of their community. It's going to be their problem, too. Even the kids who aren't, you know, the next generation, even the people that aren't taking drugs or addicted to drugs, this is going to be their problem. Because I can tell you... This has become a problem in our community, and it affects each and every one of us, whether we want to admit it or mm-hmm. not. And it's not like it's not just like <laughs> oh, those junkies that are using heroin. I mean, you have you, to. Think... It's hard to distance yourself right. from it when it's your neighbor right. and your friend and your kids and your cousin and your uncle right. and you know. It's a giant ripple effect. <laughs> it is. It's a very very serious problem in this community, and I think we all need to really be educated on why this happens and mm-hmm. and um, how to help people. 
Yeah, and I and I think you know there's definitely a lot a lot that just the way we live our lives in, in our society, you know, when we're able to kind of deal with things more naturally, then we're we we kind of short circuit that, so we're not as susceptible to you know dealing you know having these kind of issues with opioids. But it's right. you know it it's sad, and you know definitely be mindful of people that are, that are struggling with this um you know there, and just there's because a, there's somebody's a person, addicted to a drug does not mean they're a bad person there's a person behind every addiction yes and everybody who's addicted has a has has a story has a mom, you know yeah um you know just looking at it here. happens it happens in every socioeconomic group out there um, every race, every culture. Yeah, it it happens. It doesn't matter if you. It doesn't care if you're rich or poor. It happens under the bridge, and it happens in the mansion around the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it it doesn't discriminate. So yeah, and I'll just kind of leave you with this: um, opioid abuse killed more than forty-two thousand Americans in 2016, more than were killed in car accidents that same year. So, I mean, just think about that. That's Think about how many lives from that are affected, and you know you, you get a sense of the immense immenseness of it, and that's probably underreported, honestly. All right, well, we'll leave you all with that. I hope that you all are enjoying your summer and have a chance to um, get some R and R in the next week or so. Thank you for listening to our episode. We hope that this was helpful. And remember, if you need help with a any kind of a, an addiction, to seek out a licensed uh, medical professional or somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But also, we want you to feel empowered to educate yourself and to seek out providers who are um, like-minded and are going to take an approach that you feel comfortable with. So thank you, Matt, for your time. You're very welcome. Nice job on episode number dose of (laughs) opioid. Yes. Be careful editing. (laughs) If you're hearing this, it was successful. I had a successful editing If you're not hearing it, we'll see you for part three. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Thrive Tribe 419 podcast. Do you know someone who could benefit from the information you just heard? Share the love by sharing this episode. Want to connect online? Check out thrivetribe419.com to leave a review or check out more episodes. You can also join the conversation by searching for Thrive Tribe 419 on Facebook or Instagram. See you next time. Keep thriving.